Welcome to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to the Female Insight Zone. This is Mary Beth Kazmeski. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Turnbull. She is a world-recognized thought leader in global inclusion and diversity. She did a PhD dissertation on stereotype threat covering an internalized oppression across cultures as she has a deep knowledge and understanding of what it takes to create an inclusive environment. She has some award-winning clients. She's the author of two psychometric assessment tools. She works with some of the biggest companies in the world, actually. And I am so thrilled to talk with Dr. Turnbull today. Welcome. Thank you, Mary Beth. Happy to be here. So, you know, when you're when you're working on your PhD dissertation, how did you start to be interested in this particular topic? Hmm. Well, I have to go further back than the PhD to say where did my interest begin? Uh, I think it began probably, and at this point I didn't know it, but when I moved countries, when I left the United Kingdom or Scotland to come and live in the United States, I mistakenly had the unconscious bias that because we we all spoke English, that the cultures were similar and that, you know, I would experience very little in the way of uh, transition difficulties. But in actual fact, I found English language to be different, and uh, different words, different spelling, and also different cultural issues. And it, it made me begin to look at the issue of racism in particular um, differently. I, I think I grew up with a naive belief that that I wasn't racist and, and that for the most part, Britain wasn't, which of course it clearly is. Um, but I didn't really have to look at that issue until when I came here and realized how almost up front and center race is in America. And because of that, I began to pay a lot of attention to how people were treated in the workplace, looking even when I was running a training program that had nothing to do with diversity, I could see the diversity issues. I could see gender differences. I could see the way people got interrupted or not noticed or just things like that that kind of captured my attention. And um, I then went to a training program with the National Training Laboratories, NTL, where they deal a lot with issues of social justice in the workplace. And that really moved me into this arena. If you'd asked me when I started my business, was I intent on being an unconscious bias and inclusion consultant? I probably would have said no. I'm interested in strategic planning and team building. But I got really pulled into this and really became passionate about it. And before I knew it, I was in a niche marketplace and a thought leader. And as you said in the introduction, I work globally with major client systems on this topic. And so did you not see those types of things happening in the U.K.? Well, let me answer you this way. They were happening in the UK. I did not see them at that point in my life. Now, I did see gender differences because that affected me, but I was completely unconscious. So my world was very white and very not secluded because I was around diverse people, particularly in London. I just didn't see it. I didn't see it until I was asked to look at it, when, particularly when I went to NTL. So that, that was a, a life-changing moment for me when somebody took the blinders off and I began to see what white privilege looks like and what uh, gender issues, sexual orientation issues, um, religion. There were things that were removed from my, 
my world at that time, not because they weren't happening, but because for whatever reason, I wasn't looking at them. But once I began to look at them, I became more and more passionate in wanting to to step up and make a difference. I recall an African-American male consultant who, who was one of our teachers at NTL saying nothing's going to change until the dominant culture of white people around race and men around gender issues step up and become advocates and allies. And that really was a call to action for me. And I said, you know what? Um, that's what I want to do. And I was passionate then. I remain passionate today. In fact, I would say today there's more need for my work than there's ever been. You know, we've regressed. <laughs> Let me put it like that. <laughs> I would totally agree. Oh, my gosh. Now, I know that you did a TEDx talk, which I saw, on the illusion of inclusion. Do you want to share with the audience about that talk in so that was back in 2013 did it break ground then what was the reaction to it so maybe give us a summary of what you talked about and then what the reaction to that was yes the illusion of inclusion it was the tedx talk it's also the title of my latest book and the hypothesis behind it is that well-intentioned people like myself in scotland um believe that we're doing the right thing do not believe that we are um participating in any way in being unfair or unconsciously biased towards people, and yet we are. So the title really says it's almost delusional for us to believe that we understand the complexity of inclusion, that we understand our part in it, that we understand that the collective impact of all of us thinking alike or all of us not noticing uh, that there's another story. You know, I, I talk about if you may not always have the privilege of knowing someone's story but at least know that they have a story and that the story may not match yours so the reaction to my TED talk has been very positive I get um, quite a lot of business via my TED talk because people see it and then clients call me and say we saw your TED talk we loved it um, I am aware that one of the the reasons that people like it is because I am taking a very fairly obviously, but a very inclusive approach to my subject matter, a way that is non-threatening, where all of us can lean in and be curious and interested and then be willing to say, yeah, you know what, that is me. And wow, I see that there's a collective impact. And if there's a collective impact, then perhaps we need to, we need to more actively pursue uh, causing change to happen. Yes, absolutely. So a lot of the diversity initiatives, I work a lot in the financial industry and Every big company has a diversity initiative. They have, for the most part, not changed the numbers, especially in the financial industry. And there's other industries that are like that. What do you think is the cause for these diversity initiatives not working? Hmm. Well, if we had a lot of time, we could explore that because there's multiple avenues to go down. I mean, first of all, I do think I work a lot in the financial industry also. And I do think that in these industries, there's a sincere desire to do something. Um, and frankly, a lot of time and money is invested in, in creating programs that will help leaders to understand what needs to happen differently. Um, I think there's a number of factors that cause it not to work. The first one is you need to select diversity consultants who really understand the depth of the topic. And they're not just offering you the, you know, the two-hour workshop or the program du jour. And the other side of that, Mary Beth, is that the company itself needs to not see 
the two-hour or even the two-day workshop as the solution, but as part of the journey, and that they need to be themselves committed to causing culture change, and they need to see this as, I don't believe there's an end point journey, and that's the bad news, uh, because I don't think we'll ever arrive at a point where we can say, all right, check the box, we've solved this inclusion issue, <laughs> it's put it to bed, it's gone away. Uh, that's not going to happen. And, you know, the myth that, uh, well, when the baby boomers retire and the Gen Xers and the Gen Yers take over, it's all going to be good. It's simply not true. Uh, because it, with every generation, the human issues around affinity bias and, and uh, you know, not wanting to uh, give up my own territory in order to let other people in is still going to happen. It may be a different group that we're biased against. It may be subsets of the group, but it's still going to be there. And so organizations need to be in it for the long haul rather than thinking that you know we're tired of talking about this inclusion stuff why can't we just all get along and just do our job you know i mean i've had leaders say to me i don't care if somebody's gay lesbian purple or, or you know have have um, blue stripes in their hair as long as they can do their job well first of all that's not true because we have a dress code and we usually tell people don't come to work with blue stripes in your hair um and secondly <laughs> So we're, um, you know, we, we do care. And, you know, I've had some amazing conversations uh, that demonstrate how much we care about differences and how willing we are to lean in or lean out and ignore people's differences. Well, and I was listening to a speaker. He was talking about diversity issues and diversity initiatives. And he said, the answer, and I know you know this, he said the answer is inclusion. And perhaps they should stop calling it diversity initiatives and call them instead inclusion initiatives. Talk about that. I mean, is that, I'm assuming that you're on board with some of that, right? Yes. I, I mean, look, the answer is inclusion. But, you know, to my, my book is The Illusion of Inclusion. And my hypothesis, basically based on years of research and work in this field, is that inclusion is much more complex than people realize. And and for me, the, there are certain component parts. First of all, we need to understand the issue of dominance. There's always going to be dominant cultures. Uh, and we have to understand the dynamic of dominance. Uh, we also need to understand the impact of unconscious bias. And the fact that unconscious bias is not going to go away. We can't just say, okay, I went to a seminar, they taught me about it, so I don't have it anymore. It doesn't work like that. And the third part of that model is that what I call degrees of difference, which is that we can't, we can't simplistically say, well, we'll solve the gender issue by sending women to a workshop on efficacy training for women um, or assertiveness training, because that's only one piece of the story. It's not even, well, let's include men in the conversation. That's a good idea, too. But let's accept the fact that not all men are the same, that, you know, there are heterosexual men and gay men, there are men who are men of faith and men who are not, uh, there are tall men, there are overweight men. I mean, we, we talk about men as if we, you know, we've only got one mental model for that. And the same for women. There's complexity in every single group. Women don't fully always understand that when we talk about women's groups, the mental model very often is white women. When in actual fact, that doesn't take account of the different stories for women of color or women who are lesbian or older women, etc. So there are degrees of difference on every horizontal axis. 
So we can't just manage what I call the vertical access, you know, let's train the leaders and then roll it down through the organization. We have to manage both the horizontal and the vertical axis. So there are significant differences. And all of these that I just mentioned, the dominant culture, the unconscious bias, and the degrees of difference are what I would call immutable forces. They are not going away, but we need to more fully understand them. The permeable forces are things that if we more fully understood them, we might be able to mitigate and manage them better, such as affinity bias, which says that, you know, we all understandably prefer to be around people who like us, people who make us comfortable, people that we, we don't have to second guess because we kind of get them. And then the other side of that coin is assimilation. Um, which is which touches on the issue of internalized oppression. Assimilation is that people who are not members of dominant cultures are doing a lot to try to fit in. They're adjusting their style. They're adjusting what they say. They're holding back parts of themselves. And so assimilation affinity bias are permeable. We can learn more about them. And then the third one is the political correctness. And there was a time in my career where I thought, you know what? Political correctness has gone too far. And maybe we need to bring the pendulum back a little bit to the middle. But in the last year, I would have to say, no, you know what? We need more political correctness. I think <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we've gone too far in the other directions. And I won't get into that because that's more than a 30-minute podcast for sure. But um, so now I think I've redefined PC. I no longer think of the requirement for political correctness. What I advocate is that PC stands for polite consideration. So that we need to be curious, we need to accept that people don't have my experience, that they have a story that's different to mine. And that if I'm giving people polite consideration and my curiosity, then maybe I can learn things that I didn't know before about other people and about myself. That was yeah. a long answer to it. Well, it was a great answer, an incredibly insightful answer. I have another question to ask you. So if your business, if your firm was going to go in to a corporation and help them start to begin to work on creating a more diverse workplace, more inclusive workplace, where do you start? Hmm. Well, I start wherever the client is at. So because every client is at a different place on their journey, uh, some people have done no work and not thought about it. Other clients, as you said, in the financial area, they have a diversity plan that they've been managing to that. They've had lots of consultants before me. Uh, and I, I just try to listen to what the client wants. But there are various places that I can start. And the first thing I would say is that I tell all of my clients, and I say this often in my keynotes, is that companies hire for diversity and manage for similarity. And what I mean by that is that there's a difference between the demographics and creating an inclusive workplace. So you can have a very diverse workforce, and many of my clients do, but not have an inclusive work environment because we're managing to what I call an assimilated model. Mm -hmm. and, and again, what I mean by that is you bring in diverse people, you then overtly and covertly require that they minimize themselves in order to um, fit into the culture. And therefore, they're not bringing their best self to work. They're bringing their assimilated self to work. And that draws energy out of the organization. So I can approach my work from, I do keynotes, 
Um, and I also do workshops anywhere from two to three hours to two or three days. And I also will do, you know, an audit where I'll come in and run focus groups or one-on-one interviews, etc. And then I have various tools. I actually have four psychometric assessment tools ah. uh, that measure unconscious bias and inclusion. And so we use these, particularly with leadership teams, to provide measurements, to provide real-time measurements that say, here's your individual um, skills gap or biases, and, and here's your collective. And based on that information, what do you want to do about this? So my preference is to work with clients, not long-term, not forever, but on a long-term relationship where it's not just a, you know, come in, do two days and leave, Helen, but actually help us to solve this in different ways. So, um, so there's different approaches. I mean, I've worked with clients where the only thing I did was a keynote and other clients would have, what, three, four, and five years with them. Very interesting. So how can people reach you, and how can they find your book, The Illusion of Inclusion? I'm assuming Amazon, bookstores, your website, but go ahead and and give us a little bit of where people can reach you. Right. So uh, thank you. So you can get information about me on my website, which is humanfacets.com. And my book is on Amazon, so that's probably the easiest place to order it. It's called The Illusion of Inclusion. And if you want to reach me directly, I would email me at drhelenturnbull at humanfacets.com. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Turnbull, for being a part of the Female Insight Zone today. You were incredibly insightful and just a wonderful guest. So thank you for sharing yourself and your business and what you know uh, with our audience. It's a pleasure, Mary Beth. Thanks for talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.